It's great to be here this morning sharing with you. And as you might have picked up, we're going to be talking about love today. Um, and I wrote a talk, and then I did that thing where you can search for the number of times you use a word. 96 is apparently, if I stick to my script, I'm going to say the word love 96 times. If you are struggling to stay awake this morning, you can try and count and see if that I stay on, on track. But I thought I would uh, begin this morning by... Uh, doing something which I, I have to confess, I'm a um, a rom-com addict in recovery. So I thought I'd start off by thinking a little bit about films that talk or show love in some way. So I googled the top 10 love films of all time, and there are different lists according to um, yeah different websites. But I thought I'd start with a quiz. Everyone loves a quiz, right? This will keep you awake on a Sunday morning. So there are going to be 10. Uh, stills from famous love films. They're going to come on the screen and you can shout them out if you know the right answer. Keep your score. There are no prizes just to, just to set your expectations uh, realistically. So hopefully, we've got the first one. What, what's this one? Casablanca. Well done. Okay. Hopefully we'll have a span of different eras of films and we'll kind of catch everyone at some point. Casablanca, next one. Shakespeare in Love, well done at the back. Excellent work. Good. Okay, next one. Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Pete Hobbs, well done. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, good. Next one. Ghost, yes, right at the back. Ghost, well done. Next one. Bridget Jones's Diary. Yeah, the first one specifically. Bridget Jones's Diary. Next one. Four Weddings and a Funeral. We've got some keen beans at the back. Next one. The note. <laughs> too, too keen, maybe. Yeah, well done. The notebook. Yeah, next one. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to buy Peter Prize after all. Next one. Yeah. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, great. And I love the fact that Wally was in the top 10 rom-coms or romance films of all time. Give yourselves a round of applause. Did anyone get, did anyone get 10 out of 10? <laughs> Let's give Pete a round of applause. Good work. Pete, I will have to buy you a prize. Um, so, so yeah, so I was, I was Googling films about love and what was interesting to me was that all of them are in some ways, um, you, could be, you could even consider Wally a romance film. They're all, um, our depiction of love is all about romance, isn't it? That's the way that love is celebrated and encouraged and valued. Um, and I think that's great in some ways. It's, yeah, for some of us that might be just something that we really, really love and we really enjoy. But actually... Um, Sometimes it's not so great if we are dealing with um, bereavement or we are single parents trying to raise a family or, as um, Toby was alluding to earlier, if we just feel really unloved in the relationships we're in or if we are single and we feel like we're not enough because we're single. Um, all those images that show love in this kind of romantic, happy way suggest perhaps sometimes that that is the only way in which our desire to be loved can be fulfilled. And you know what? This just isn't true, is it? It's not true that we're only loved in romantic relationships because we know love from our parents. We know love from our siblings. We know love from our children, perhaps our wider families. 
and we know love from our friends, even if we're too awkward ever to use the words that we love our friends. And I know guys especially, I'm going to encourage you to tell your friends that you love them, because it's really important. Um, But love ultimately comes from God, and that's what we're thinking about today. It's because of God that we know love. It's because of uh, God that we can experience love in our relationships, because that's a reflection of what God is like. God loves first, and therefore we know love. And that's the the deep love of uh, God, is what Paul's writing to the Ephesians um, about in the bit of the letter that we got up to today. So if you've been with us, we have been looking at the book of Ephesians, and we've got up to... Ephesians, if you've got a Bible with you, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 14. Now, up until this point, Paul's been talking about God's big plan. God's big plan has always been to include outsiders or Gentiles or non-Jews in his plan and in his family, and that God loves beyond the borders of the Jewish people that God had a history with from the whole of the Old Testament. So in verse 14, the words are going to appear on the screen if we need them. Verse 14, it says this, for this reason... I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So this section is actually a pivot point in the book of Ephesians, because Paul's been spending uh, chapters 1 to 3 looking at what it means to be alive in Christ, how amazing this is, what incredible plans God has for us, how big God's love is for each and every one of us. And in chapters 4 to 6, he's going to go on to explain the consequences of this, what it means, how this should affect our attitudes, how we should treat one another because of this incredible love. And this prayer in verses 14 to 21 links these two sections together, and it all hinges on the church knowing the deep love of God. And there are three things I want to draw out um, from this passage about what knowing God's love means. First of all, we need to know who is God. We're talking about God's love, but who is this God who loves us? Paul starts this section in this little prayer, um, to the, the, uh, prayer for the Ephesians by referring to God as the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. And it was important that Paul did that, and he does it for a reason, because, first of all, it reiterates the fact that God is not just God of the Jews. God called Abraham and gave him and his family a name, and Paul has also gone to great lengths to say that God is not just father of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham, the children of Israel, but God is God of the whole world. 
Another reason why um, Paul begins his prayer with these words talking about how God is the father from whom every family on heaven and earth derives its name is that naming is a sign of authority. Parents name their children, sometimes interesting names. My sister recently got her um, daughter, she went to the council office and went for, uh, you know, had to give the name and they were like, what's this one going to be called? And she said, oh, Felicity. And they said, oh, thank goodness, we had an Obi-Wan this morning and Batman as well. So anyway, parents have the authority to name their children, good or bad, but yeah. Um, God gives us the authority to name things. In the book of Genesis, we are given that ability to name things as a sign of authority that we have over creation. And God himself names the stars in heaven. It says that in Psalm 147. So when Paul says that all families on heaven and on earth derive their name from God, God is the father of all, he's saying that God has the ultimate authority over everything. He's saying that this God that I'm praying to is the creator, the originator, the master of everything. That's this God. And now for some of us, that idea of God being father, that's a difficult one. Because we don't, have, um, we don't have examples in our own lives of loving fathers. We've never known our father's love. And so maybe for some of us, thinking about God in that way is unhelpful. And the word mother or the word friend works better. But the point Paul is making is that the God whom, who loves us is the God. The God who put the stars into space. The God of the universe Everything, everyone derives its, uh, their identity, their sense of being from God. And it's this big God of love that equips us, the church, for the mission of making that love known. Second thing, where is God? <clears throat> if you were here two weeks ago, you'd have heard me talk um, about the fact that in ancient times, the presence of God... The glory of God, it's sometimes called, was found in the temple. That's where the Jews gathered to worship. And it was in a separated bit of the temple, the Holy of Holies, where no one was allowed in. But because of Jesus, that changed. The dividing curtain that separated us from God was torn. The wall of hostility that uh, created insiders and outsiders, that was knocked down too. And now everyone can have access to God. And Paul is so overwhelmed by this fact that God's presence is available to everyone that he can barely put it into, into words. He prays that God, out of God's glorious riches, are beautiful words, would fill the new dwelling place. Fill the new dwelling place. And what is that dwelling place? The dwelling place is the church. It's us, you and me, gathered together. We are the place now where God's presence dwells. Instead of the temple, Paul prays for the church to be filled with the glory, the presence, the love of God. So God's presence is here this morning. God's love is available for each and every one of us here today. Third thing I want to talk about is how vast God's love is. Now, if you're like me, you might have heard a lot of talk about 
God's love. And on the one hand, that's great, but sometimes we can become a bit immune to it, can't we? The words kind of wash over us. Um, Or maybe we haven't experienced that love and we don't really understand what it means. Or maybe when people talk about God's love, it feels a bit theoretical or abstract, a bit difficult to kind of really kind of get hold of in some way. So I want to take the four words that Paul uses in this passage and go into a little bit about what that love that God has for each of us looks like. He talks about God's love being wide and long and high and deep. So first of all, God's love is wide. Um, As I was saying a few weeks ago, I spoke a little bit about, because of Jesus, that dividing wall of hostility that separates Jews from non-Jews was broken down. And so we need to also break down our walls of hostility towards people who are different from us, especially people that we want to um, exclude. And I was really encouraged by a number of people who came up to me afterwards and say they were challenged to put it into practice. And I'm really inspired by the stories that you've shared with me about how that's happened and the difference that that has made. But I'm also aware it's a challenge to love people wider than our immediate friends and families because often we don't have things in common or we are worried that um, we're not going to be safe if we encounter people who are different from us. We want to have appropriate boundaries. Sometimes we just don't have time to show people love. But there are two dimensions to the wideness of God's love. First of all, it's wide enough to include people we want to exclude. That's what God is like. The people that we struggle with, God embraces them even when we can't. God's love is ultimately available to everyone. And second of all, God's love is wide enough. It's wide enough for each of us, for the good and bad and everything in between in all of us. Because ultimately, we know this, don't we? The wideness of God's love looks like Jesus on the cross. It looks like Jesus asking for them, for God to forgive those who put him there. God's love is wide enough, as it says in one of the Psalms, to remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. God's love is wide. And God's love is also long. It's really, really long. It's God's love that spanned the whole universe into existence It's the love and the long love of God that called Abraham and the children of Israel to be a light to the Gentiles, to show people around them what that love looked like. It's that long, long love of God, this big story of God's love, that even when the Israelites messed up time and time again, didn't abandon them, didn't forsake them, didn't let them down. It's the long and patient love of God that always had a plan, always had a plan to give us Jesus who walked the earth and taught us what love in human form looked like. And it's the long love of God that inspires us too to be patient and committed and faithful in the way we show love to one another in the church community here today. It's that long love of God that will one day fill everything and be never-ending. It's long. And in the middle of that love story, It's the long love of God that knew each of us before we were born, 
knit us together in our mother's wombs, knows every hair on our head, and is committed to loving us to the end. It's long. God's love is also high. Now, I'm petrified of heights, um, so this doesn't really do it for me in the same way it might do for you, uh, some of you. But I once did a skydive, and if you're petrified of heights, that's awful. And it was genuinely the most scary thing I've ever done, and I can't quite believe I did it, but apparently there's phot photographic proof somewhere. Anyway, um, when I was plummeting to Earth out of this aeroplane, sure I was going to die in a few seconds, I definitely didn't have time to do the one thing people tell you to do, which is to open your eyes and enjoy the amazing view around you and just take delight in beauty of, of God's creation and how high you are. But, so I didn't get to do that, but I hear it's true. When you are up really high... <laughs> and um, you're not screaming with your eyes shut... You can see everything from a different perspective. You can appreciate how small everything really is and what, what big, vast expanse our world actually um, is. So compared to our smallness, we get that perspective when we're up high, don't we? We're small. How vast is God? We're small. God is vast. How vast must God's love be? Love that sees everything, that created everything. Love that made everything big, small, high, low. Love that's unmeasurable. The sheer vastness of God makes us feel small, but also safe, like a baby held in the arms of its parents. God's love is high, but sees us so small. And love is also deep. God's love is deep. It sees all of it. It sees the good and the bad and the ugly, the stuff we try to hide, the shame that we have really deep down and we can't even admit to ourselves, let alone anyone else, the selfishness, the pride, the greed, the absolute worst of us, the things we do that we shouldn't, the thoughts that are too horrific to even mention, all of it in all of us. But God's like a father who, despite his son turning his back on him and wishing he was dead, comes running to meet him and welcome him home. God will never abandon us. God will never leave us. God's love is sure and unshakable and deep. At the center of the universe, it's love. It's a abounding, unimaginable love. It's the source of everything we know. It's the answer to all of our questions and our doubts and our fears. Paul wants the Ephesians and us to know this love and to be filled to the brim with it. Now, for some of us, this might be something we've never experienced and something that we struggle to even get our heads around. And in a moment, we would love to pray that you would come to know this love that God has for you, this deep love in the center of your being. But Paul also makes it clear that we come to know the fullness of God's love in the context of community, through our relationships with one another. Knowing God's love isn't something that we can get from just listening to a talk, even an excellent talk, but or reading, <laughs> or reading theology. We don't learn love like that any more than we learn to love our friends um, by reading a textbook. Love your friends, read this book. It doesn't work like that. We need to reflect love 
in the way that we interact with one another. That's how we come to know God's love and know the power of God's love in ways we couldn't possibly imagine. That's how we need to show God's love too. And I know for me, there have been the the times I would say, I was sharing this earlier, we were talking about how do you know God's love. The times that I have felt most loved by God are the times when people have shown me incredible kindness and patience and forgiveness. The times people have forgiven me despite the fact that I acted in a horrible way towards them. Or they've assumed the best in me despite um, me feeling at my worst. Or the times people have encouraged me when I didn't think I could do it. These are the times I think, and I don't know if you're like me, I think, wow, if another person can love me like that, how much more must God love me? God's love is so much broader than a Hollywood definition of love. So we need to be people who show that wide, long, high and deep love of God in our patience, in our giving, in our sacrifice, in our perseverance. Because it's here that the big, big love of the God of the universe dwells. It's in the middle of the church committed to making his love known. So we're going to come now to um, a time to respond, and the band are going to come up in a second. Um, And I want us to think about how we might respond to this message of God's love. Perhaps, as I said um, a minute ago, that love isn't something that you've ever known. Perhaps it's new to you. Perhaps you've never really received God's love. Perhaps those Hollywood images of love have left you feeling like you don't feel like you belong, like you're enough. We want to be a community that shows real love to one another. And one way we do that is by praying for for each other. So we'd love to pray for you, and there are people here who'd love to pray for you if you want to receive more of God's love. Perhaps, um, Perhaps it's not about that. Perhaps you do know about God's love, but actually God wants to teach you something new about his love, about the height, depth, width, length, of that love. And as we come to a time of worship, maybe you want to respond to that by yourself. Or maybe God's prompting you today in showing God's amazing love to someone you struggle with. Maybe some, someone's being put on your heart right now by God. Who is that person? How can you show them love? We'd also love to pray that you would be equipped by the Holy Spirit to do that, to show that love, the fullness of God in the way that you make his love known. We want to be a community, don't we, that loves, that really loves, and shares that love with one another. So I'm just going to have a time of quiet, lead us in prayer, and then we're going to move into some worship. Just think about how you might respond to that message. Has it challenged you? If not, why not? Because it's amazing, it's incredible. Let's pray. God, we're in awe of you. Your love is high and long and wide and deep. God, your love sees all of us. We're amazed that we can even come before you, but we thank you that we can. Would you fill us with your love, God? Would you come by your spirit now?